0: The Long Story Short Podcast with Liz Callaway.
1: Welcome to The Long Story Short, the weekly podcast on Burn Media. I'm Liz Calloway. If you're enjoying The Long Story Short, be sure to like it and share it with your friends. We all need to work together to save America. And now on with the show. This next interview is going to be one of the most important interviews we're going to be doing as we prepare to take back not only uh, the House and uh, uh, the Senate in 2022, but really... uh take back the presidency in 2024. Joining us right now, he's an icon in politics. He is a political consultant and a New York Times best-selling author and author of the new book, The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback. Dick Morris is joining us right now. Good morning.
2: Hey, Liz. Good to see you again.
1: It's so cool to speak with you. Uh, I, I can't even tell you, uh, I, you know, I've been following, of course, your career and a lot of things that you've been saying along the way. Um, and we've gotten a lot of questions from our fans to to ask you. But uh, before we get into that, what i really like to know is um, this book is almost like a handbook, more so that it's, it's not like your usual book. This is a book yes. that's telling us how we're going to take the steps that we have to do to take back the presidency. Um, tell that's us more it. about this.
2: Well, I worked with President Trump extensively, but secretly, in oh. the 2020 campaign, uh, my father was Trump's attorney, oh. and uh, and I uh, and, and I was very honored to be very much involved in the campaign. We spoke over a hundred times, and he asked me to write a book that really lays out why he'll win in 24 and do better than he did in 20, and uh, and this book really does that. Uh, start with the issue of election fraud. Uh, I believe that we are developing a foolproof way to stop election fraud entirely in 2024. Mm. And it's received no publicity, and the media is not covering it, but it is enormous. There's a landmark case going up in the courts that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear next term called Moore versus Harper. And uh, that's going to be a case that will be as famous as Brown v. Board of Education. Mm. It says that the legislatures, not the governors, not the state courts, but the state legislatures are in charge of elections at the federal level. They're the ones who draw the lines for congressional districts. They're the ones who decide on voter ID. They're the ones who decide whether or not to allow drop boxes and all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And the... The theory there is that Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution, right up at the top, says the times, places, and manners of holding elections for House and Senate and President shall be determined by the state legislatures. And the liberal judges have said, well, that means states, you know, let the governor and the legislature work it out. But now the conservative strict constructionist judges are saying, no, it says state legislatures. And there was a long history of worry about authoritarian governors trying to set up dictatorships or monarchies. And that's why they vested the power in the legislature.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So we now have three states that are swing states that have passed fabulous, wonderful elections fraud prevention laws. Georgia, Florida, and Arizona. No drop boxes, uh, no signature verification, photo ID, and the whole bit. But there are five states that have passed it with Republican legislatures, but the Democratic governors have vetoed them. And they are the key swing states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and North Carolina. Mm. And this case says the Democratic governors cannot veto these bills, that these bills will take effect when the legislature passes them. And the state courts have no jurisdiction, only the federal courts. And uh, that is going to solve the problem of voter fraud. We will not have cheating in 24 because the laws in each of these states will stop it.
1: But, Dick, I have to ask you this question, because um, every state has a different model of government where the governor is stronger and the legislature is weaker and vice versa. Like here in South Carolina, our governor isn't as strong in many cases. Um, But in Florida, you know, you have a very strong government. Right. So. How does this case that's coming up, this landmark case, you know, how is that going to play across the board?
2: It overrides all of those state laws. Wow. And uh, it doesn't matter if the state governor is weak or strong. He has no role in overseeing elections. It's called legislative supremacy. And it's going to totally change everything about the way elections are conducted in the United States.
1: When are you expecting this case to be decided?
2: fall term. Uh, it will be, it'll be heard in the fall term. The decisions will probably be early in 23.
1: Okay. Now so you let s- me go
2: on about the other points in this book. Sure, you're right, the handbook. There are really three key constituencies that have dominated the democratic party. And uh, I call them the legs of the donkey. <laughs> and <laughs> one of them, and we're taking them away from them one at a time hispanics have largely left have not not largely left but they are reducing their ranks in the democratic party they're becoming more and more republican and i explain why i was sitting i was with trump when the riots took place over the summer of 2020 and they were tearing down statues and stuff and he told me he said patriots particularly hispanics are not going to put up with this Mm He said, these are people that want to be Americans. They came here on rafts across the the Atlantic Ocean, and they're not about to let the same process of socialism and communism taking over here that they did in their native land. And based on that approach was the Democrats talk immigration, the Republicans talk patriotism, and that's made all the difference in the Hispanic vote. Yeah. The second thing that's going on that I talk about is that young people are moving to the Republican Party.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There's a very curious thing, Liz. It's almost funny. When you look at voters from the ages of 18 to 25, they're liberal. Then when you look at them after 26, they turn conservative.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When they blow out those birthday candles, they realize that they have to pay mortgages and yeah. the paycheck is diminished by the taxes and... Uh, They have all of the problems of trying to find a house, trying to raise a family, Mm -hmm. and they suddenly become conservative. And uh, Trump has really succeeded in flipping the young generation to a point where it now is more Republican. Biden's policies have done that. But the third thing is something that people don't really focus on, but is very important, particularly in a state like South Carolina with a high African-American population. And this there is a huge gender gap emerging among black people where black women are staying with the Democrats, but black Republicans, black men are switching to the Republican Party. And the, in, in right now, Trump has 15 percent of the vote among black women in a matchup with Biden, but he has 30 percent of the vote of black men. And the reason I believe, and a lot of experts have told me, is that all of the affirmative action programs of this administration are squarely aimed at black women, but not at black men. Mm. They wants a black woman vice president. He wants a black woman Supreme Court judge. Right. Good point. And yeah. what?
1: I said, that's a really good point. I, did, I never really and, thought and of the, that. Yeah. The
2: typical upwardly mobile, mm-hmm. upper middle class black family. The woman works as a uh, managing partner of a law firm. And the man has a shingle outside that says attorney at law and he chases ambulances.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The The programs are all oriented toward women. And it gets worse. After Pat Moynihan wrote his famous report in the 60s, saying the key problem was the breakup of the inner-city family. The policies of the government all under Clinton, my old boss, and all were to raise the incomes of black men. Now the left has given that up. And what they want to do is replace black men with women. Mm-hmm. Heather has two mommies. Who needs a black man? Uh, we should have well, a that, family without men.
1: That was uh, and- the, the whole mantra of BLM. When you go onto their website, they were talking exactly that, you know, and about, about you know, about black women in particular.
2: Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the whole uh, the whole gay movement is uh, oriented towards non-black male families. And uh, Heather has two mommies. Yeah. And that is causing a real backlash among black men.
1: I want to speak to you uh, about, you know, just to to talk about these three keys a little deeper. Um, And we're speaking with Dick Morris, the uh, political consultant, legendary uh, New York Times, bestselling author of the new book, The Return, Trump's big 2024 comeback. Uh, You were a Democrat. You turned uh, to Republican, I believe it was 1996. And with that in mind, you're someone who did make that flip. Uh, What do we need to say to people? Because the three keys are, you're talking about flipping, really. Um. Yeah. First of all, Hispanics, and uh, second of all, you said basically millennials. So that's uh, that's yeah. what we're at, that age group, that twenty seven year old age group, and also you know you're talking about the gender uh, black women. Um. So I want to focus on the millennials for a minute because they're the new upcoming group that are looking for those homes and uh you know t- trying to make something out of themselves. They are the largest or they're going to start outnumbering um, the largest population, which is the baby boomers in America. Pretty soon the millennials are going to be. uh, So how do we reach them? You know what flipped you in 96. Maybe you can share that with us and also uh, tell us what should we be saying? What are the words that we should be saying? I have a 27 year old. He's always been a conservative. Uh, but okay. but, you know, there are people that that you're speaking to right now whose kids have come home from college as complete liberals.
2: Yep. Well, uh, first of all, let me counsel it personally. I haven't budged an inch, Liz. I still believe everything I believed when I was a Democrat. It's just the Democratic Party that's moved so far to the left. That the fifty-yard line, which I used to inhabit, is now deep into the end zone,
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and uh, the Democrats have become so crazily left. The key thing about appealing to millennials is inflation and the gas prices,
0: mm-hmm. not
2: the social issues. Uh, they tend to side with the, with the Democrats on issues like gender change or issues like uh, like um, uh, teaching about gay gays in school. But inflation and the gas prices are the absolute key to that group. They are literally watching their future melting away mm-hmm. as they see the prices go higher. And they have they have to pay off loans, they have to buy homes, they have to rent apartments, they have to move out of mama's house and get married, and they're suddenly facing practical reality and it clashes with what they learned in school and they are increasingly flipping from the Democratic Party to the Republicans. A lot of Republicans worry that these college kids will grow up to become liberals and Mm -hmm. dominate politics. Not true. They change when they meet reality.
1: They're also the ones that are having kids starting to go to school because that millennial group goes from 27 to like 35 or something. Um, and they're the ones that are having their kids going to school and they see that indoctrination happening. And they're saying, yeah. wait, we didn't we, I didn't have that when I was in school. I mean, I I didn't notice anything when my kids were going to school that that was going on like it is now.
2: Yes, yeah, that's completely true. And they also had to suffer through the teachers' union keeping schools closed during mm-hmm. the COVID that's period. That's right where for two years their kids didn't get an education. Mm-hmm. And they're feeling that, and they're seeing that, and they're feeling the Democratic Party and the teachers Union betrayed them. So all of these things are moving in Trump's favor.
1: What about the Hispanic group? Uh, you know, I, uh, my husband is originally from Mexico and from what I know about his family in Mexico is that they have a lot of family values, um, very conservative, mostly Catholic. Um, and they come with, you know, these, these, these thoughts, not like the typical woke left. I mean, we must look like a bunch of crazy people, you know? Right. Um, so do you, do you think it's more the cultural issues for Hispanics? Well, uh,
2: I, I worked for, uh, you know, I do international campaigns, Liz, and I ran the campaign for Vicente Fox mm. and Felipe Calderon. Okay. From the PAN, the Conservative Party in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're completely right. It's a conservative population. By the way, decreasingly Catholic and increasingly evangelical,
0: mm. which
2: is accounting for some of the shift. Interesting. Latino evangelicals are even way to the right of Latino Catholic.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but the. But the point about this is that the Democrats think the issue is immigration. The Republicans under Trump have come to realize it's not immigration. It's patriotism.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That, that the immigration is an experience in the rearview mirror for most of them, or their ancestors did it and they've been born here. And the thing they're concerned about is what's going on in the U.S. and the shift of America into a socialist country. They've seen exactly this process unfold in their native lands, Mexico, mm-hmm. Venezuela, Cuba. Corrupt
1: Colorado. governments, corrupt police, corrupt military. You're right. That's absolutely that, what, what seems to be unfolding in, in the wake of by, January 6th.
2: That sustain themselves by handouts to people and that causes inflation, that causes the economy to fall apart. So they've seen this play before.
1: Now, let's talk more deeply about black women. What are they looking for in a political leader? They, I, I feel that maybe they want to be seen and heard from. And I feel that we, as Republicans and conservatives, are not reaching deep into that group. Um, that's number one. We're not going to find people to talk to. I feel like we're not doing enough. And we're not supporting those emerging candidates from that population that are conservative.
2: Well, well, you are correct that the Republicans are not doing a good job of reaching black women, uh, but they are doing a good job in reaching black men. And uh, I think that with black men, the issue, re- they really are the social issues that dominate because they're being replaced by black women. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they feel that. They feel ignored. They feel to decide they feel not being paid attention to. And you see that in polling, and I think it's very significant. The other thing that's going on is with women of all races uh, who are uh, who are well-educated, who live in the suburbs, there's a push-pull going on. On the one hand, they tend not to agree with the Supreme Court on the abortion issue, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, they're determined to exert power over their children's education mm-hmm. And the education issue is is prevailing, yeah. Because you know they're they're not having kids necessarily, but they do have kids in school, and they're demanding a role in that. When they see a critical race theory being taught or gender change being promoted, they absolutely have a fit, and they demand a role. When Terry McAuliffe running for governor of Virginia, that parents on, shouldn't tell schools what to teach. That's exactly the opposite of what most of these parents are thinking, and they're demanding a role in their children's education, and the Democrats are refusing it because the teachers' union won't let them, and the Republicans are in favor of it. One of the ideas I think the president is going to advocate in the future is that he's going to say that every school board in America should have a majority of parents on the board. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've seen that unfold over the last couple of years. Dick Morris is a political consultant and New York Times bestselling author. The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback, is the book. Um, And and I feel based on, you know, now that we've had this conversation, but uh, with the buzz I'm hearing about this book, I really believe that this is a book that every political Activist type of group should have their hands on it and and create this um, this grassroots effort focused like more focused not just like oh let's register everyone to vote like that's not what we need to do yeah. we need to tell people why we need to we need to tell why that the Republican Party is going to be the answer to whatever issues are 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 you're, that you're, you're facing.
2: Right-wing. Regulation. We have to do one other thing. What's that? The Democrats got the votes in two thousand twenty because they know what Every pizza delivery boy knows, which is that home delivery beats eating out every time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So while the Republicans worked overtime to get our votes to wait in line for three hours at the polls, yeah, they came door to door with ballots and bar and loaned them a pen
0: mm-hmm. and
2: said, "Here, you can go back to your game in a minute, but vote first. Yeah, and. We have to do home delivery of these ballots.
0: Mm-hmm. We
2: have to go door to door and reach for the couch potatoes who did not come out to vote who were conservative Republicans.
1: Yeah, and, and it's you can do that completely within the parameters of the law.
2: Yeah, you don't have to cheat. You just have to go to real live voters.
1: We have to, to do the FID work.
2: And get them to vote. But do it, don't demand that they go out in the rain. Bring it to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, um, I, I hope that every person involved gets involved in this um, this book, and um, I, I, I just you give us the um, the pathway and and I just wanted to go back to something you kind of dropped early on in this conversation. Trump asked you to write this book. You said,
2: "Well, I mean, not a sense of a homework assignment, okay? But we we talked about the importance of getting his." Message of how he's going to run differently right. out to the public, and then when I wrote the book, he was very generous in his endorsement, which I he saw that read on my back cover. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for what you're doing and uh, and for writing this book. I think it's going to be one of the most important books as we head into these elections of 2022 because you know there's no um, no guarantee we're going to have that red tsunami <laughs> that we're looking at. Yep. And so we have to work, start working now, like not worry, wait until
2: 2024. Yes, absolutely. And thank you Luke, for having me on.
1: Well, thank you. And you can go to DickMorris.com for more information. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you.
2: Bye-bye.
0: The Long Story Short Podcast with Liz Callaway.
1: Thank you for downloading Long Story Short. If you need to reach me, you can always email me at Liz Calloway, LLC at gmail.com. That's Callaway with all A's. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a review, like and share it with your friends. Until next time, I'm Liz Calloway.